0: Let's join Bishop Kevin J. Foreman. Take over. Take over. over. Take it over. Tonight, I'm going to be teaching on giants. Ah! Tonight. Hallelujah. Lift your Bibles. How let's make our confession of faith together. Let's say it together. This is my Bible. It is the living word of God. My mind is renewed and my spirit is prepared to receive the word. Which produces faith. And faith pleases God. I'm not just a hearer of the word, I'm a doer of the word. This word has given me light and light more. Shout it out. I am in my promised land. Amen. We welcome all those watching at all of our campuses. It's going to be one of them nights. Go to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13 tonight with me. And I want you to get to verse number 17. We, we looked at this real briefly on, on last week. This is, y'all come, this ain't centered. Fix this, please. Amen. I just like to preach in the center of the Lord's will. No, that ain't right. There you go. There you go. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Now I can preach. Okay, verse 17. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up this way into the south. And go up to the mountains and see what the land is like. Now, the land of Canaan is their promised land. For you and I, there's no promised land anymore. There's just a promised life. Say promised, promised life. Look what he says. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many. Whether the land they dwell in is good or bad. Whether the cities they inhabit or like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not. And and, and look, he just throws this in here, be of good courage. Uh, I don't know why Moses would need to throw be of good courage in there unless he knew that something they were going to see was going to discourage them. Are you here? Uh, because he's talking about forests and lands and strongholds and cities and camps. And then all of a sudden, he throws this phrase in there, be of good courage. And then what he, look at what he tells him. He says, and bring some of the fruit from the land. Now, the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. Say, it was a due season. season. Uh, verse 21, so when they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin, as far as Rehob, near the entrance of Hamath, and they went up through the south and came to Hebron, Ahiman, Shishay, and Talmay, the descendants of Anak, were there. Now, Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. It's just giving you some history here. What it's telling you is, is that the people in the land, the descendants of Anak, they're giants. Say giants. giants. Now, literally, they were, they were very tall, statured individuals. So, to the average size uh, human being, they would have appeared as a giant. Look at verse 20, <coughs> 23. Then they came to the valley of Escol, and they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between the two of them on a pole. Say that's some big grapes. Yeah, big now, grape. if you got two, you got to have two brothers carrying the grapes. Them some grapes. Amen. You got it. They carried it between the two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Esco because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Say 40 days. 40 days. Now, now, watch this. What they looked at was so big they couldn't see it overnight. <laughs> it, it was so massive a week didn't get the job done. It took 40 days for them to look just at what God had promised them. <laughs> I'm going to get to that in just a minute. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and, and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Remember them big grapes. Then they told them and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless... The people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, and the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Now notice how they talking about people. Caleb's talking about it. Mm-hmm. But the men who had gone up with them said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great statue. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from, that came from giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Father, tonight we pray that the complex of a giant would be broken down over the lives of every believer tonight. Amen. Father, we pray that tonight, Father, we cut through all of the clutter of what it seems like our giants are to come into the realization of what they really are and understand, Father, that you have not only equipped us to knock them down, but they aren't as big as they looked in the first place. And so I pray that faith would stir up tonight. I pray that a holy boldness would be stirred up tonight in the life of every person under the sound of my voice. And it is in Jesus' name we ask this. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. As you take your seats, high five, somebody say no more giants, no more giants. Sell them no more giants, no more giants. Uh, there are, as we begin to peruse this, uh, there are some key points in the text that I want us to get to. But first, I want to give you the background. It's an interesting text because now, the book of Numbers is called the book of Numbers because we find that the children of Israel had uh, several times where they counted the people. There were several times they had a census of the people. And so hence, we find the name of the book Numbers. And it goes literally uh, from one trial and tribulation to one victory, from one trial and tribulation to one victory. You literally see a pattern being established here. And what's very interesting about uh, the book of Numbers when you look at it is that the children of Israel, every time God promised them something, they somehow, some way, talked themselves out of what it was that God promised. It's so interesting to me that, that Satan is not mentioned very much in the book of Numbers because he wasn't their greatest enemy. Uh, their greatest enemy was the person that they were woke up in the morning and looked in the mirror that was the person uh, that they found their greatest issues with it was not some devil with a pitchfork it was not some hater over here it was not somebody running their mouth about them over here their greatest enemies was themselves and so repeatedly we see them get into something and God get them out of it but they not learn the lesson of self discipline because one who can discipline and control himself is one that has mastered his future Are you still with me? Uh, Now, 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 as we look at this, we come down to this numbers in chapter number 13. Now, here's the deal. God promised the Israelites that he was going to take them into the promised land. Say promised land. Uh, for 430 years, they were in bondage in the land of Egypt, and a new pharaoh arose who did not know Joseph. He did not know that these were God's chosen people, and the scripture says in the book of Exodus that he dealt with them shrewdly. He dealt with them a- and converted them from uh, 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 from what they were into slaves in the land, and for 430 years, they begin to live that way, and they begin to become beat down, and they begin to go through situation after situation that makes them feel like less than the chosen people of God. God. It's one thing to be told you're chosen by God and then look at yourself as a slave and you're trying to reconcile if I'm really called by God, why don't my circumstances match up with that calling? Has anybody ever been there? If God is really so good, why don't my circumstances seem to match up with the spiritual state? Why can't I get my natural to match up with my spiritual? Because if my natural would match up with my spiritual, I would not have all of these soulless problems problems of our mind, our thought, our will, and our emotions. And so God promises them. He says, I'm going to take you into a land. It's a promised land. It flows with milk and honey. It's going to be a good land because the children of Israel, uh, they were uh, by many uh, measuring standards, they were an agricultural society, which meant the land that they dwelt in was very important because if the land uh, did not yield a harvest, they would not be able to be prosperous. But if the land did yield a harvest, they would be able to be prosperous. Got it? So this is why we see land. So now God God says, go into the land I am giving you. Got it? That's how Numbers 13 starts. It says, go into the land which I am giving to you. I swore it to your fathers as an inheritance, and now is the time. Somebody say, now is the time. Now, God God says, I want you to go into the land. I want you to take it. I am giving it to you. Now, we understand that when God says, I am giving it to you, we've got two things going on. God is speaking about the present tense, but he's doing it from a past tense perspective. Which means God says, I'm trying to get something from your future to manifest in your now. So I'm not going to give it to you. I am giving it to you. Which meant right here in this moment, what we have is a transfer going on where your future is literally coming out of heaven and you're seeing it manifest on the earth. So I'm not going to do it. I'm not getting ready to. You got to stop talking like that. God says, I am giving it to you. Which means right now in this present moment, I am trying to extract from your future that which belongs in your present. Are you still with me? He says, I'm giving you the land. Touch your neighbor and say, He's giving it to you, giving it to you, giving it to you, giving it to you. He says, I'm giving you the land. But he says now, But there's some people in your land. And uh, on in Deuteronomy, he says, He says, now you're going to have to repossess and dispossess in order to possess. Because here's the deal a lot of believers think, well, if it's a promised land and a promised life, shouldn't all of my problems go? Mm mm. That's the biggest lie I've ever heard perpetrated in in the history of the world. The evidence that you are dealing with a promise, watch this, a promise is always bigger than your present. So in your promise, you will always see circumstances that look bigger than you have the ability to handle. The reason for this is because God says, I need to make sure that when you get there, you're not always going to have to be begging me to help you sustain where you got So I need to make sure I take you from faith to faith, from level to level, from glory to glory. So I need to make sure that in this next level of glory, what is glory? God's goodness. I need to make sure you can sustain this level. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Why? Because the board says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow, which means when God gives me something, I'll never wish I didn't have it. There's been things we prayed for that we got. And then later on, we was like, good God, I wish the Lord knows. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, now I want us to look at the text, and I want us to go in a pedagogical or very systematic, line-by-line, precept-by-precept mode uh, tonight, because I want you to get this. First thing I want you to get, it took 40 days to spy out the land. 40 days. Now, 40 in Scripture is, is, uh, is uh, significant of a couple of things. The first is it's significant of a testing, a testing. You saw Moses there uh, for 40 uh, uh, 40 years with the children of Israel. You see that. You see Jesus being uh, 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 fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and so on. And at the end, you see him being tested by Satan. 40 always signifies testing. It also signifies wilderness. But now check this out. What God was giving them took much more than a glance. Now, I, I said that earlier, but I need you to get that. What God has planned for you and I, Jeremiah 29, 11. What God has planned for you and I, you won't be able to just get a glimpse of in one dream. You, you, you won't be able to get the totality of it just from seeing one thing. God says, just for you to spy out what I'm giving you, it's going to take you 40 days. Which means evidently the promise is so massive that you're not going to be able to do it little bit, little bit, little bit. God says it's going to take so much in order for you to be able to receive it. But the test is not whether or not you got the ability to do it. It's never been about your ability. The test is can you handle what you saw even you, even though you don't know how. Say it again. Can you handle what you saw even though you don't understand the how? because the problem the children of Israel are having is that you know they've been slaves for 430 years so now you release them in one night and they're will- they're rich they're filthy dirty stinking rich in one night and they come out and as they're going out even though they came up out of Egypt Egypt did not come out of them and so they're looking at this great promise and saying but we don't know how so since we don't know how it must not be oh, come on. oh are y'all here Since we don't understand how we're going to do it, evidently you must not want to do it. Because in our comprehension, it makes no sense. It's too big for us. And God says, but that's why I had you there for 40 days, baby. It was a test of whether or not you were going to lean on your own understanding or whether or not you were going to take me at my word. I told you I was giving it to you. Are you here? Now, 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 now. The second thing, second thing is 12 men looked at the same thing. But two men saw something different than ten others. Hear me. Common thinking is average, and average people are common. I'm going to say it again. That was good. I wrote that one. (laughs) Common thinking is average, and average people are common. Everybody's everybody's doing the average thing. But you got to be like the two. And notice the two were the minority. There was far more naysayers than there were people saying, yes, we can do it. There were far more people saying, oh, but what about this and what about that and what about this and all the economy and all this and all that. There were far more people saying no than there were people saying yes. But even though there were more of them, the fact that there was more quantity did not mean that they were right. Oh, you're not hearing what I'm saying. Sometimes in life, you're looking for a lot of yeses for you to determine what God said. And God says, many times you're going to have a lot more no's, but I still said yes. Ten of them said and came back with what the Bible records as a negative report. You have to learn how to see opportunity in opposition you got to see innovation in limitation. You have to realize that there's a harvest even in your humiliation. And those ten did not have the ability to do that. So here's some of the things they said. Here's what they said. We are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. Here's my question. Based on what? Who told them that? This reminds me of a conversation God had with Adam and Eve in the garden. When they said we were naked and we hid ourselves. And you know what the Lord's response was? Who told you that? Uh, in essence, God was saying, I didn't say that. So evidently you've been talking to somebody that don't know nothing. And it's a lot of know nothing folks that want to act like they know something. The problem is, is that when they run their mouth. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot of folks that, 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 that think they know a lot. But you can look at their fruit and say, well, evidently you don't know nothing. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, 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 now this, is, this, is, this is very critical. This is very critical because, because they base the fact that the people were stronger than them based on, watch this, the experiences they had in life up to that point. I said this earlier. Even though they came out of Egypt, Egypt never came out of them. So they began to think within the confines of what they've experienced in life. If, if, if you've never held a million dollars in your hand, it's going to be real hard to think you could ever be a millionaire. But that's what faith is all about. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. Which means even though I don't see it, I know it already happened. How do I know? Because he made me some promises in his word. And in his word, he told me I was the head and not the tail. In his word, he told me I was above and not beneath. His word made me some promises. And so I can look at this, but I got to sometimes look at what I see and say, I don't even see you. I don't even see you there because my faith is so much louder than my fears. My faith is so much louder than my reality. I see you, but the question is, do you see my God? I see you, but the question is, do you know who you're messing with? I've been through worse before. I've been messed up before. I've been, but just. He, he, they they base the thought that all of these ites were stronger than them. Based on the experiences they had in life. They didn't have a point of reference that they could be greater than what they had always experienced. If if you've never lived anywhere but the ghetto, it's difficult to imagine you could have one of them houses behind the gate. Now, Bishop, what are you saying? I'm not trying to get us to be materialistic. I'm trying to just paint a picture in your mind so you get a clear understanding. Because people remember pictures, see? So you got that. Got it? But then here's the next thing those 10 said. They said, And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Check this out. They drew a contrast between themselves and the people in the land. Bishop, what do you mean? Listen to what they said. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Well, if you're a man of great stature, there's no need to identify that the other men are of great stature because great stature, the status of great stature is your everyday experience, which means I don't have to call something out. That's obvious. You, you, you understand? Now, now, check this out. Evidently, then, they misunderstood a scripture that would come later on. Scripture says, Scripture says, think do not think more highly of yourselves than you are. But, of course, they weren't around when that was written. And so, and so but let's just assume through some kind of spiritual download, the Holy Spirit gave them something. They misinterpreted it. Because they thought less of themselves than they should have. Uh, There is a thing called low self-esteem where a person does not uh, have a great self-esteem. They see themselves very lowly. Uh, There is a thing called high self-esteem where a person sees themselves in an inflated view. But then there's a thing called vacant esteem where a person has no esteem except the esteem they draw on when they come into a circumstance. So depending on the circumstance they're in depends on how they feel about themselves. But the problem is, is that I am that that I am because I was made that that I was made to be regardless of what's going on around me so you may be in some bad situations that don't mean you're a bad seed you may be in some messy situations that don't mean you're a mess you you may be in some mistakes but baby that don't mean you're a mistake just because I find myself in a situation I cannot draw my esteem from that they do a contrast they said the men are of great stature evidently they didn't see themselves as men of great stature you, you, you got to be careful not to think less of yourself than you should. Amen. And somebody says, well, Bishop, is it a balance? I don't really think it's a balance. I think balance is a false concept that was created to make people think it exists. For balance to exist, everything's equal. So people say, I'm having trouble work balancing my work and life. Well, then quit your job. Well, balance, right? You mean equality. That's what balance means. So now, if you want to have equal time with your family then you need to quit your job. But now here's the problem. You quit your job, you ain't going to have no family. <laughs> See, balance is a false concept. Balance does not exist. Balance, something is always going to get less. That's just reality. So everybody, I'm just trying to balance it all. You're going to be searching for something that's not coming. There's no such thing as balance. Balance means equality. Everything's equal. It's not balance. You don't live life by balance. You live life by priority. I did what was most important to me. Stop saying you don't have enough time. Just tell the truth. You don't want to do it. That's the truth. Go all that Christian line oh I just didn't have time. No, you didn't want to. Because you do what's important. You went to work today. Tell your neighbor, say, I know that's the truth. I know, that's the, I know that's the truth. So then, so then, so then, we just finished a great series. Uh, in core, where we talked about identity, and you need to pick that up, and, 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 and it's so important because your identity cannot change based on circumstances. Because what will happen is is that you'll never end up passing any test in life. Because every time there was a test, you shifted. Got it? So then I got to look at what the word says. The word says, the word says, the word says, he always causes me to triumph. Which means even if I look like I'm failing. I know. Eventually. Come on, Bishop. Touch the name and say, eventually. Tell me, Bishop. It might not be tomorrow, may not be Thursday, may not be Friday, but eventually, this is going to make me triumph. No, no, it may not look like it now, but baby, I'm not worried about what it looks like right now. I read the book, and the book told me he always causes me to try up. And so eventually, Mountain, you may act like you don't hear me, but eventually, you're going to pick yourself up and move yourself over there to the sea. Look at me like that again. Somebody shout, Eventually. So, so... Despite those things, Joshua and Caleb respond. And here's Joshua and Caleb's response. They say, we are well able to overcome it. Not them. (laughs) If you read the preceding verses, the ten are talking about them. The giants. The ites. All of those ites are just descendants of Canaan. Canaan's uh, grandfather was Ham. Got it? Ham, boom. Canaan, all the ites, the Canaanites, the Amalekites, the Hittites, Mamanemites, you know, all this. (laughs) Now, now look at this. Everybody else is talking about the them. And you know you're dealing with average thinking when people are talking about them. And they. (laughs) You know you've graduated to kingdom thinking when them and they are irrelevant. I'm talking about it. You're not hearing what I'm saying. Bishop, what are you trying to say? They never saw the giants as a threat. I need you to get it. You didn't get it. Caleb and Joshua are like, and who are they? If our God be for us, Ain't nobody studying them. See, you better learn how to deal with haters. You better, you better learn how to deal with them. I had to learn how to deal with them. Ain't nobody studying them. And they say what you want to say about me. But in the end, the vision will speak for itself. I ain't studying no them. I'm talking about it. They never saw the giants as a threat. You, you know where we get messed up? Is we start seeing people as threats. So then you begin to place yourself in a competition. And you're the only one that knows about the competition, by the way. You place yourself in competition with thems and theys. Not understanding, God says, would you please start talking about it? They never saw the giants as a threat. They saw their thinking as the only threat that could possibly be in the way. Because they had a promise. So what happens? What happens? What happens? What happens when you begin to get in competition with people and you're the only one that knows about the competition? I'll tell you what happens. You, you missed the scripture that said, for we wrestle not against thems and they, but rulers of darkness and principalities in high places. Now, most people think that's devils. <clears throat> no, no, no. Principalities. The principality means a, 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 a prince ruler. Here's what it means. It, it, and it says in high places. Here, here's the picture they were painting. Is that over certain regions, there are certain mindsets that dominate those regions. Got it? A principality was the dominant mindset of a group of people in a certain region. So it would exalt itself against the knowledge of God because it would try to make itself greater than the knowledge of God. Did you get what I just said? So then when it says we don't wrestle against them in days, the rulers of darkness and principalities in high places, what he's really saying is what you're wrestling with is what you've been taught all your life. Because you were taught limitations. God did not put that in you. You were taught that you couldn't do this and couldn't do that. God did not put that in you. That's why the apostle tells his son Timothy. God did not give you a spirit of fear. But of power and of love and a sound mind. He said so you better come up out of that stuff that God never gave you. Are you here? We don't wrestle with thems and days. We wrestle with what do I think about the thems and the days. And when I think about him, it's real simple. And? <laughs> Bishop, I got a tough boss. And? Right. Bishop, I'm having problems with this. And? You, you ain't supposed to be worried about thems and theys. You're supposed to be talking about it. And what is it? The promised land. What is it for us today? The promised land. Which means no them and theys keeping me out of my promise. <laughs> hear me and hear me well. Nothing. No thing will keep you from what God has promised, except the person sitting in your seat. Are you here? Caleb, I got to finish. Caleb, Caleb and Joshua say we are well able to overcome it. Now, Now, here's some facts about giants. First fact, giants only appear in places of promise. Giants only appear in places of promise. If you want to know that you're close to something, giant popped up. <laughs> you ever notice how giants pop up at the most unopportune times? Gi- gi- giants pop up, you know, when you, you're full of faith, you're good, but you're still fragile. I- anybody know about that place where you're full of faith, but you're fragile? Because you're just coming over another disappointment. You're just coming past another issue. And so even though you're full of faith, you're still somewhat fragile. And it's in your fragility that a giant will pop up. But evidence of that giant lets you know, I'm not on the wrong track. I'm not going the wrong direction. This giant is evidence that the place of promise is here. The kingdom life, the promised life where heaven's attributes invade my everyday living. Here's the second fact about giants. You ready? Amen. Giants indicate a due season. <laughs> now check this out. Anybody dealing with a giant? Anybody dealing with a giant? Okay, let me, let me, let me help you. Let me help you. You ready? Giants don't indicate a new season. They indicate a due season. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 3. There is a time and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to laugh, a time to, to cry, a time to die, a time to live, a time to go down, a time to go up, a time to turn around, a time to turn back around. Turn, uh, you know. He goes to he goes through this elaborate explanation about there's a time and a season for every activity appointed under heaven. But so check this out. Giants indicate not a new season, but a due season. What is a due season, Bishop? Something from your future that is currently due to manifest in your present. Okay, God, I wish I had some faith in the room. I wish I had some faith in the room. A giant indicates to me something from my future, something from my future is pressing through Come on, Daniel. Come here, Daniel. What did Daniel say? The angel said, the day you prayed for it, I did it for you. But the prince of Persia withheld me for 21 days. What is a due season? A due season is you're coming out of my future. And you're manifesting in my present. That's why it's a due season. Because I'm due for my promise. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Not next year. But right now. Somebody shout now. It's a due season. When your Excel bill is due. Okay, you got that. You got that. It's a due season. Pay that bill or explain to the children. So giants indicate. What's the first thing? first thing? Place a promise. And what's the second thing? Here's the problem. No, y'all. Here's the problem. Because we shout and we like it. But giants aren't what you think they are. Giants are not what you think. You've been thinking that big situation is a giant. No. Verse 33, it says, There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak that came from giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. The the Hebrew word there is Nephilim, N-E-P-H-I-L-L-I-M, and it does not mean what you think it means. Most of us think of giants as these big, elaborate, complicated problems. But that's not what the word means. There are four primary definitions. That's why I love the Hebrew language, because when you come from Hebrew to English, typically you use three words. And when you come from Greek to English, typically you use three. So our New Testament, uh, which was in Greek, the final translation into English, well, Greek to Latin to English. And then you come into it, you've lost two words from what they originally said. And when you come from in our Old Testament... From Genesis to Malachi, when you come from Hebrew into English, you've lost approximately three words. Bishop, what are you trying to say? We read the word giants, but there's four separate definitions for that word. Are you ready? Yes, sir. This is going to mess you up. You ready? Okay. I, I, I'm going I'm, I'm to I'm rock your world. It's going to be like Wandolf of Living Color. Rock your world. You ready? You want to know what the first giant is? Attempting to be accepted by unspiritual people. It's the definition of the word giant. Attempting to be accepted by unspiritual people. Bible calls that a giant. It becomes a giant because you'll never be what God wants you to be because you don't want to offend unspiritual people. You don't want your unspiritual family to call you a Bible thumper and you just a church this and you just a that and you just a this. So you never end up becoming because the giant of them and they. Tempting to be accepted by unspiritual people. So you, you drop Jesus off when it's convenient and you go pick him up when it's convenient. You're a believer when it's convenient but if somebody messes with you all of a sudden all of your hallelujah thank you Jesus, he Tashada, all that's gone. It's a giant because you have the fear of losing friends and losing family and losing status to people. That's first definition of giant. Trying to be accepted by unspiritual people. You're just going to have to reconcile it. Some folks just ain't going to get with you. And the sooner you come to that realization, the happier you're going to be. I didn't want to offend nobody, but then you don't want to live. I found out that the successful people in life typically have a lot of folks they offend. Because mediocrity is always offended by greatness. Success always offend losers. That's your neighbors say. Don't try to be accepted by them. No, don't, don't, don't. And then you hear it talking about you a Bible believing, Holy Ghost filled, uh, all this believer. And then you sitting here asking unsaved folks for advice. You, 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 you you're getting on Yahoo looking up your, 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 your horoscope. And that's what it's a whore. Just a whore to look at. It's a horoscope. It's a RO They forgot the extra R. It's a whore. But you're supposed to be a believer that's talking to the king of kings and the lord of lords praise the lord bishop but you on yahoo what is it saying to me today how about you take that three minutes you was on yahoo and go in the bathroom and have you a prayer time By the way, reading horoscopes is a generational curse, by the way. You'll learn that in KOU if you haven't taken it. Isn't that something? You're getting advice from unspiritual people to fix your spiritual problems. (laughs) Okay, the second definition. The second. You ready? It means to be judged Or disqualified by people or yourself. To be judged or disqualified by people or yourself. That's what a giant is. Ain't that something? To be disqualified by people or yourself. What I found out is people that have disqualified themselves often like to disqualify others. And so because they didn't do it, they don't want you to think you can do it. But then the other side of it is, is then you can disqualify yourself. Here's what disqualifying yourself is. You quit before you even try. You ain't even tried and you talk me, I know it ain't going to work for me. You ain't even tried nothing. I know that's not going to work. Based on what? What is your point? When I was a kid, we used to play a game. you used to play a game. you used to play a game. We used to play a game. you used to play game. The game was called, That's My Car. <laughs> I don't know if it made its way on the other side of the Mississippi from from where, okay, but on on the east side of the Mississippi, we played a game called That's My Car. It's a real simple game. Uh, Basically, cars would drive by, everybody from the neighborhood was sitting on the porch, and come on, when when we saw the nice car drive by that was the shiniest and the nicest, what we do? We point and say, that's my car. Now, check this out you were serious about it so serious if somebody else tried to claim your car you'd get in a fight with them about no that's my car but now check this out you didn't have a license you didn't know how to drive you didn't know about gas money you didn't know none of that but even as a child you knew that there were no limits but then somehow when you started growing up people started putting limits on you and you started putting limits on yourself but I'm here to tell you take the limits off going to disqualify me. I don't care because it didn't work for you. (laughs) That's you. Don't try that. That ain't gonna work. That didn't work for you. Don't put your failure on me. Don't put your box around me. I'm not living outside of the box. I'm asking the question who put the box there. As far as I'm concerned ain't no box. Third definition, because I got to finish. Third definition, third definition, third definition. Now, this is what giant means. Notice how these things are small things that become big things. Uh Ain't no big, ooh, I got a letter from the bank. Ain't none none of that a giant. (laughs) No, no. Third definition, to lie down or to rot. To lie down or to rot. Definition of a giant water water is, is perhaps the greatest uh, substance God left us with on earth, obviously uh, outside of oxygen, uh, without oxygen and water uh, and there's no life water, water gives life, right, but now stagnant water stinks so something that once gave life, Jesus if it doesn't start doing something and start moving something what was once giving me life will become stagnant and now it stinks Bishop, what do you mean by that that's when you see believers with bad attitudes they're, they're stagnant and that's why they stink When you see negative believers, they're stagnant in life. That's why they stink. When you see overly critical people who are critical about stuff that don't have nothing to do with nothing, they're overly critical because they're rotting. And when you're rotting, you want everything around you to rot. And check this out. Only something that was once alive has the propensity to rot. giant is you were passionate about the lord you were passionate about serving him and then you let some them and some they get in your ear and mess with you and put some limits on you and now you're rotting and now you stink and what i found out about stagnant water is not only does it stink but the only way to to get anything good out of it now is either you got to throw that water out or you're going to have to put at least double that amount of water in fresh water. But still, here's the problem, though, because there's so much junk in the stank, it's still going to contaminate the new water. That's why some of you are saying, "God, do something new in my life." And God is saying, Mm-mm, "I can't do nothing new because you're rotten." Yeah. Lord, give me a new relationship. He says, "For what?" So you can make them hate me too. I'm not going to do that. Lord, send me a new boot. For what? Look, give me a new job. For what? You're rotting on your existing one. Why would I let you go misrepresent me at another company? Okay, y'all ain't going to say nothing. I guess this is too much. <laughs> Only something that, but you, you, you want to know something? You, you take a Twinkie. I saw this on TV. You take a Twinkie. And uh, you can keep Twinkie for 20, 30, 40, 50, 150 I think they got Twinkies that Lincoln had back then. Bishop, what's the point you're trying to make? A Twinkie, while it looks great, follow me. While it looks wonderful, and it does. The little, the little oil, the little grease, look like butter that gets on the plastic packaging. Don't, 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 don't play me like that. You know, when you're looking for sweets, particularly a Twinkie, it has that oil that gets on the, on the cellophane. And you're like, this going to be a good Twinkie. <laughs> Some of y'all front, and that's okay. That's okay. That's all right. I'm willing to stand for myself. <laughs> <laughs> so check this out now. So, so, so it looks real good on the outside. looks wonderful. It looks alive. The problem is there's nothing living inside of a Twinkie. It is all processed. Check this out. So it will look alive for years. That's some Christians you know. They've been looking alive for years. Problem is, ain't nothing living in there. And when they find themselves in a tough situation, you find out that the only thing that's really in there is just mushy marshmallows. Ain't nothing in there good but some Christian cliches. They don't know how to pray themselves out of nothing. They don't know how to walk themselves out of nothing because all they've been is a Twinkie all their Christian life. Fourth definition. Fourth definition that I'm through. Fourth definition. Fourth definition. Fourth definition. It means to be. To be. Now you 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 may think, well, Bishop, what what does that mean? It's real simple. It means no passion, no zeal, but settling for mediocrity. Just being. Isn't that something? He, 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 here, here's, here's what's interesting about the third definition and this definition. Because the third one said to, to lie down or to rot. And this one says to be. They, they both really work in hand. They coalesce. Because he, here's the interesting thing. Lying down means voluntarily getting on the ground. It did not say you were knocked down. It did not say you were pushed down. To lie down means you voluntarily are getting on the ground which means you had to leave a better position in order to take on a lesser position. You had to choose. Now, now, some of you may been saying, but Bishop, I didn't feel like I was standing. But baby, you were kneeling. The point is you weren't dead. You, you may have had just this little bit of fight in you, but the point is, is you still had some fight in you. You may have not been standing all the way, but baby, you weren't dead. But the giant becomes when you lie down, when you rot, when you just be, just being, I'm just here. What are you doing with your life? I'm just here. What you going to do? I'm just here. And then if they, if they learn how to speak Christianese, you know, the Christian language, they'll say stuff like, I'm just doing whatever the Lord wants me to do. Well, he ain't told you yet. You you still don't know (laughs) what he wants you to do. Just be. It's the opposite. It's the opposite of 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 Nike, where we get uh, uh, the word Nike, uh, their slogan, "Just Do It." The Greek word Nike comes from the Greek word Nikeo, which means "just do." The giant is, "I'm just here," and you know people that are just here because they're like dead men walking. There's no passion. There's no zeal. There's nothing good happening for them. There's nothing great happening for them. And even the great things that are happening, they're oblivious to them. They're oblivious to them because a giant has come in their face. The giant of just being. I'm just here. Now, 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 now. Didn't that rock your world? That giants were none of what you thought giants were. We sang, they gotta come down. They gotta come. I mean, you, y'all was grooving when we were singing, but you didn't realize what had to come down was your stank attitude. Yeah. Somebody said, I know that's right. I- So the question then really becomes, Bishop, then how do I handle my giants? There's one answer in the text. One answer in the text. And Moses says, be of good courage. Word says, fight the good fight of what? Faith. The fight is in how you view yourself. That's the fight. The fight is not who's against you. The fight is how do you view yourself In spite of who's against you. Here's the setup. And I'm through. Here's the setup. You against your giants looks bad. You and your God against your giants. I wish I had some believers in here. I wish I had some believers in here. David said to his giant, Goliath showed up and he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dared defy the armies of the Lord? And you know what David did? Can I tell you what he did? Tell somebody, say, you want to know what he did? You want to do it? David got five smooth stones. Now, to the average believer, they just say, man, that must have been some nice rocks, must have been some good rocks, must have been some of them riverbed rocks because they had to be smooth together. No, 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 no. Five is the number of favor it is the number of grace but check it out check it out David as a Hebrew five represented Torah which meant the word so David said you may be real big but I tell you what I got I got the word And this word that I got on the inside of me, even though you look bigger than me and even though you are bigger than me, this word is going to bring you down to your knee. I wish there were some believers in the house that said, I got a God who's got a powerful word and the word that my God has given me won't let me. I tell you to go for broke right here. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Oh, come on now. You know you deserve it. A steak patty on any McDonald's breakfast sandwich. I mean any breakfast sandwich. Biscuit, McMuffin, Bagel, McGriddles. A juicy steak patty on any breakfast sandwich. And when you order through the app, buy one and get one free. Now go get 'em! Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one time per day. Excludes one two, three dollar menu.